Let's take our Bibles today, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. I meant to uh, share a presentation with you earlier, I'm not going to, I no way in the world want to break the spirit of that after the music set the tone for the service, I'm not going to break that up in the least. So tonight we'll share that, but again, having to do with our building fund and with the plans that we have, we'll see that tonight, all right? 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23 Again, this week is a week where we begin to pray. Uh, the last two weeks, we've been reading Psalm chapter 24. So we prepare for revival as we look forward to our services coming up here in the end of March. Uh, we uh, have begun to read, starting to kind of prepare ourselves and try to ready ourselves for what God's going to do in each of our lives. And so uh, this past two weeks, we've been pray, uh, reading. Now we start praying, all right? And so I thought what we would do this week is talk a little bit about prayer and just see if we can't kind of get on track and be motivated, move to, to go forward and maybe pray more than we even normally do, really try our best to prepare and ready for this coming, uh, those coming meetings here at the end of March. So 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, we'll read one verse, and then we'll go ahead and give you just a little bit of a uh, kind of a summary of the chapter, and then we'll move ahead and see what we can't learn from this particular passage today. Chapter 12, the book of 1 Samuel, verse 23, the Bible says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. 
Again, let's read that again. You silently me out loud. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Now, Saul has been anointed king, and he is reigning now in this particular place of the Bible. He's in charge, if you will. It would be uh, important, I guess, to understand that at one point, Israel's king was none other than God himself. But they weren't content, nor were they happy with God being their king. They wanted to be like the other nations, and they too wanted a king over them, a physical king, a man, if you will, someone that they could look to, a figurehead that they could point to, someone that they could say was our king and stands in our place and takes up for our cause. And so they dismissed God and they put Saul in place. God permitted it, obviously, but it really was not what he intended. And so now we find ourselves in this passage and Saul, this great prophet and priest, stands before the people. Begins to share some things with them. First of all, he reasons with them in verse 7. The Bible says, Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. And so he says, now listen, I'm going to reason with you a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about some things. I want to bring some things to your remembrance as we're going to find here. I'm going to reason with you. And I'll tell you, reasoning is a good thing. When we stop being reasonable, we really have problems in life. When you can't be reasonable with your wife, when you can't reason things out with your kids, when you can't reason with the boss, when you can't reason with the pastor, when you can't reason with people, you've got problems in your life. Saul says, listen, I'm going to reason with you now. I want to bring some things to your attention. I want to try to help you understand a few things along the way. And so he reasons with them, verse 7. But he reflects and he rehearses some things over here in verses 8 through 11. Notice he says, and when Jacob was come into Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this, this place. Now, again, he's going to continue there through verse 11, but he addresses their exodus from Egypt. He begins to say, now, listen, I want you to know how good God was to you. You remember when you were in, in bondage, when you were enslaved, when you had no way of doing anything you wanted, you had no freedom and liberty to serve me as you would like to have served me. I want you to know I opened up that door. I gave you an opportunity. I allowed you the presence and the power to go out on your own and to be able to worship me as was intended to do. Man, God is so good to us, people of Israel, he says. Man, he delivered us out of the hand of Egypt and helped us to remove ourselves from that, that, that slavery that we were in. And he goes on to share how God rescued them so many times over and over and over and over and over and over again from their enemies. Each and every time they're in the midst of their enemies, every time they're being occupied, every time they're being oppressed, it's because of their sin. It's because of their rebellion against God. It's because they depart from the word of God and the things of God and fail to obey the word of the Lord. And he says, in spite of all of that, in spite of everything, God continued to enable you to be victoriously appeased and helped and delivered. Man, I'm going to tell you what, God's been good, hasn't he? He does the same in our lives. How many times have we sinned? How many times have we brought the enemy down on us because of our failure to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet he continues to deliver us and continues to rescue us. 
He then goes on to remind them in verse 14 and 15. He says, now listen, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and, uh, and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now, they had a record of what had transpired and taken place through the years. I mean, they knew how in the past their people, their fathers, their forefathers had strayed from God, had walked away from God, had dismissed God, and how the enemy came on them and how horrible situations arose as a result of their disobedience and rebellion. And he says, now listen, it hasn't changed a lick. If you will simply keep my commandments, if you will simply, should I say, keep God's commandments, if you will fear the Lord, if you will do these things, I want you to know that God will be with you. And and if you don't, however, it's going to be just like it was with your fathers. Don't think you're going to get a different result. It's always going to be the same. See, it's interesting how God's going to deal with them. He's going to say, now listen, I love you, yes, and, 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 and all of that. But the fact is, if you're going to rebel against me, you're going to disobey me, then it's not going to go easy. It's going to go hard. Notice he reassures them, however, and I like this. I, I really, really like this. Note verse 21, especially here right off the bat. He says in verse 21, And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. They're empty. There's nothing to them. He's saying, now listen, you can rebel against God. You can go ahead and go your own direction. You can go your own way. You can choose to dismiss God, His Word, and cease to fear God. But the fact is, is that it's going to be vain. It's going to be empty. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that uh, it's, it's not going to deliver what you think it's going to deliver. It's not going to profit. It's not going to do the things that you'd like it to do. I'm telling you, it's going to be really empty in the end. You're going to go back and reflect on your past and say, boy, I regret Boy, I wish I would have done something different. I wish I would have served the Lord. I wish I'd have elevated Christ. I wish I would have magnified Him in my life. I wish I would have lifted up the Word of God in my life. Oh, I regret my past now. He reassures them of this. He says, now listen, I want you to understand this. It's so important to get it. However, look at verse 22, and I like this. He says, for the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Let me tell you something. Uh, you know, as, as, as harsh as it can be in our lives and as difficult as it can become, no matter what we do in the end, we're still his people if we've trusted and received him. It doesn't mean God's going to be pleased with our actions. It doesn't mean he's going to support our decision. It doesn't mean he's going to prosper us in the midst of rebellion and sin. But the fact is, is that I'm still all his. Now listen, that's not a reason to go out and sin. How, how shall we that are, are, have been forgiven, how shall we that, that you know, um, ah, my mind just went totally blank. We're memorizing chapter 6 of Romans, but, but how, how shall we, what's that? Yeah, how, how can we be dead to sin, live any longer therein? And he goes on to say anyway, uh, anyway, a lot of things. <laughs> chapter 6. And, and now right now there's too many other things on my mind, obviously, and I can't remember those. That's why you got to work and work and work and work at memorizing because, you know what, when it comes time, you're under the gun and the pressure's on. It's just got to be second nature, doesn't it? Nonetheless, he reassures them of these things. So we see this here in the chapter 12 of the book of Samuel. But see, of all the things that we see here, we, we know he reasons with them. He reflects and rehearses. He reminds them. He reassures them. 
of all the things in the passage that I am most intrigued with, it's verse 23. This is what stood out in my mind. This is what really got my attention, if you will. Samuel says, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Now, again, we need to wrap our mind around this concept and idea that Samuel is the priest. He's the prophet. He, he's standing in the stead of God at times on behalf of the people. And here he is now being told by the people that they want a king. They're not content with God as their king. They want another king. And Samuel feels as though they're, they're really rejecting him. And he ultimately goes to God and he says, oh, God, they want a king. And, and I don't get it. And, and he says, listen, don't, don't worry about it, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And now here's Samuel. You've got to understand now. See, with that thought and that concept, he had felt that they had betrayed his trust. They felt, he felt that they had turned their back on him. I mean, he had been in the passage earlier. He's saying, now, did, have I ever stolen from you? Have I ever done anything unethical? Have I ever done anything immoral? Have I ever done anything wrong to you people? And they said, no, 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 never, never, never. But he, in the back of his mind, he's thinking probably, then how come you didn't trust me when I told you that God wanted you just that God should be the king, not another man? But here's what Samuel, how he responds. He says, listen, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. How many times have we ceased to pray for somebody because they didn't respond to us the way we thought they should? How many times have we ceased to pray for someone because they did not uh, treat us the way we thought that we deserved to be treated? How many times have we said, I'm not praying for that person. I don't appreciate that person. That person doesn't live up to my expectations. I thought they had a little bit more on the ball than that. I'm not going to pray for them. Samuel says, listen, it doesn't matter what you've done to me. It doesn't matter whether you thought you were rejecting me or not. It doesn't even matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. The bottom line is this, and this is what is so intriguing to me. He simply says this, God forbid that I should sin against who? The Lord. In ceasing to pray for you. If I don't pray for you people, then I have sinned. But I haven't just sinned against you. I sinned against him. Throughout the Bible and throughout world history, prayer has been important. Prayer has been important. How many times have you ever thought that prayerlessness is sin? I mean, how many times? Well, we know we're supposed to pray, right? We get it. I mean, we understand that, it, that, that if we're going to neglect or we're going to forfeit some of the blessings that come as a result of prayer. We get that, right? But when's the last time you really sat down and thought about the reality that prayerlessness is sin? I don't know that I think about that all the time. In, in a sense, I think, well, I'm just getting a little busy or I didn't get a chance to spend as much time in prayer as I usually do or I didn't spend more per time in prayer because, uh, because I just, some things come up in my life or, or my schedule got all upset and so, okay, so I prayed on the run, I played on the fly, but I didn't really settle in and really pray like I ought to. When's the last time I thought, man, Mark, you're such a sinner and you're sinning against God. Not praying for this person, not praying for that person, not praying for the ministry, not praying for souls, not praying the way you ought to for this, 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 or this. See, throughout the Bible and through world history, prayer has been important. Samuel, of course, expresses the importance of prayer in the passage. Notice it's important in Matthew 6, 6 through 7. Turn there if you would, please. Others have done the same. 
We see that the Lord Jesus Christ expressed this need for prayer. How valuable, how important, how much a necessity it was. We live virtually in a prayerless society. I'll take that back. Now, we, we are praying. We're just not praying often to the right God, first of all. There's only one God, by the way. There is only one God. And there's not a bunch of gods. It's not like you get to pray or pick or choose whoever you want to pray to. That doesn't work. And, and listen, I'm not trying to be disgraceful. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, digging or hurting anybody or anything. But let me tell you something. To pray to any other god but the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the creator of the universe, might as well be praying to your mother or father, your aunt or uncle. There is no difference. Matter of fact, you, you'd probably be better off to pray to them because at least they have ears to hear. Again, I'm not trying to be combative, and it's not my goal to create conflict. But I'm telling you, you must remember that there is only one God and one mediator between God and then the man Christ Jesus. Matthew 6, 6, 6 through 7. Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father... Thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, Jesus simply said to his disciples, he said, he basically says about his disciples that they would pray. Do you see that? Jesus didn't mix his words about this issue. Notice he doesn't say, if you pray, enter into your closet. He doesn't say that. He says, when you pray, when you pray, what he is implying then is that his disciples would pray. Let me ask you, are you praying? If you are praying, then you are a disciple. If you're not praying, you're not a disciple. Because disciples pray when you pray, not if you pray. No, when you pray, the disciples took him seriously. Because they saw why. What did they see? They saw the power of prayer demonstrated in his life. They saw the results of a a powerful prayer life. They never asked Jesus a number of questions. They didn't ask him, you know, how do you do miracles, Jesus? At least we're not, it's not recorded that way. Maybe they did ask him, it's just not recorded. I mean, there's a lot of things that if we recorded everything that Jesus did, then we, we couldn't contain all the volumes on earth. We understand that. So maybe they did, but God didn't record that. So obviously there's a reason why this particular issue is recorded. He doesn't record, hey, uh, Jesus, how do you do miracles? Or, hey, Jesus, uh, teach us to preach. No, no. You know what they did ask? Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I mean, I wonder how many Bible college students walk into the office of the chancellor or into the office of, of, of the, the pastor or the office of the, 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 the Bible college director and say, Hey, what about this college? I just want to know one thing. When I leave here, will I know how to pray? That's all I want to know. Well, I know how to pray. Well, I know how to reach out to heaven and tickle the ears of God and get the response that I need from God to help me win souls and reach the world with the gospel. I dare say that's probably not the question that's asked by most college students. The first one is how much? Sad, isn't it? 
teach us to pray. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Seems to me that prayer ought to be something we're talking about a little bit, huh? The early church obeyed Jesus' words and prayed, understanding the importance of it as well. You know, they prayed while they were waiting for the Comforter. Remember when Jesus Christ went back and now all of a sudden here they are gathered together in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Here they are gathered together. Here they are praying. Say, we're, we're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. We're waiting on the Comforter to come. But we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. Following Pentecost, we find them still on their faces in prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The early disciples devoted themselves to prayer. I mean, throughout the Word of God, we see that. Peter and John were heading to the temple to pray even. We find that in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. It seems that this particular passage would indicate then that their, their custom was to go to, 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 to pray. There was a time to pray. There was a place they went. They were headed out there. They had a custom of praying, spending time with God. When attacked, when confronted, the disciples could be found in prayer. Acts chapter 4. Turn there if you would, please. Chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Again, we're dealing with prayer here. How valuable, how important, how much of a necessity is prayer in our life? We have Jesus' example, but we also have the examples of the apostles, and we have the example of the early church here. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Things weren't always going their way. But I'm going to tell you something. The one thing that they did was pray. i got to believe, and, and I'm sure there were a few of them sitting around from time to time that would find themselves complaining. I gotta believe that. They're just human, right? But we're not, that's not recorded in scripture. What we do gather from the Lord is that the people of God were not sitting around complaining as much as they were communing with God in heaven. Maybe we'd do a lot less complaining if we would do more communing. If we do a little bit more praying, we might do a little less in the department of criticism. Acts 4, 23 and 24, and being let go. They went to their own company. Again, they'd been in prison. They'd been taken captive. But now they're being let go. And they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priest and elders had said unto them. By the way, they were in prison because of their stand for Jesus Christ. Because they said that he had risen from the dead. We serve a risen Savior, they said. And they said, guess what? You're going to jail. Because we don't like that message. And now here they are now, returning back to their own company and reported all that the chief priests, elders, and had said unto them. And when they heard that, what did they say to them? Stop preaching. Stop preaching. Don't be Christ-like. Don't be Christ-like. Don't you dare adapt to the, the Word of God. You go ahead and just conform yourself to the world. That's what they told them to do. And what did they say? They said, we, we told you guys. Here's what they told us. And what is the, the response? And when they heard all that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is uh, that in them is. We know who's really in control, Lord. It's not the authorities, it's you. 
If you read through the book of Acts, as we said, you're going to be impressed by how often the church was found in prayer. Acts 6.4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The epistles are no different. Consistent prayer and consistent is a consistent theme in the epistles. Everywhere we go in the book, we find instruction to pray. Paul instructs the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He says in Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing constant in prayer. And throughout the epistles, the church, the local church, is, is continually exhorted to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, talks about all the saints when it says, Praying always with all manner of supplication and spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He said, we've got to pray for all the saints. We've got to pray for all the believers. We've got to pray for all the people of God. We've got to be praying and praying and praying. Because there's a battle taking place out there. If every one of you was representative, of, was, was like a ship today. I'm telling you, Satan would be trying to put a bullseye on your back and sink the ship. And we're to pray for every single member. We're to pray for every single believer. Why? Because Satan's trying to sink you today. We're admonished and commanded to pray in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. We're encouraged to pray in James chapter 5 verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The perfectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto the, their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Aren't you glad his ears are open unto their prayers? He's open to yours too. First Peter chapter 4 verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. First John 5, 14 through 15. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So with all that said, what do we learn? With all that said, what do we learn? Here we go. Number one. Prayerlessness is a sin against God. Prayerlessness is a sin against God. See, prayerlessness is not just an oversight. It's not just a discipline that's lacking or missing in your life. It's that I'm struggling with praying. I have a hard time. I'm not very disciplined and I'm dealing with that. I'm trying to work on... No, it's not just a lack of discipline. It's not just an oversight. It's sin. We often dismiss our prayerlessness as something hurting us only. But that's not true at all, is it? Romans 14, 7 says, For none of us live it to himself, no man dieth to himself. See, Dad, if you're not a praying dad, then you're hurting your kids. Mom, if you're not a praying mom, you're hurting your children. Grandma, Grandpa, if you're not praying for your kids, your grandkids, and others in your family, you're, you're hurting them. It's affecting them negatively. They need the, God, the prayer of God, and they need God's uh, prayers being lifted up to God on their behalf. See, it's a sin against God first and foremost. He commands he commands that to be the case. James 1.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Would you say prayer is a good thing? 
then if you don't do it and you know you ought to, it's a sin. Leonard Ravenhill wrote, A sinning man does not pray, and a praying man does not sin. Ravenhill said, A sinning man does not pray, and a praying man does not sin. You know, it's hard to sin when you're in, a ho- in holy submission to and communion with the God of heaven, the righteous God of heaven. It's a sin against God first and foremost. Also, it's a sin against others. Sidlow Baxter said this, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Again, Baxter said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, made this statement, if it is, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. He said, it is possible, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. We spend so much time organizing and putting the machinery in place, but the reality is is that we need prayer. It is the fuel that makes everything go. The church family, we think about them, not only the souls of men, but what about our church family? Ravenhill again, he once stated, let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church, and the place will look smart and clean, but it will be cold. The prayer room is the boiler room for its spiritual life. Not only is prayer a sin against God, a sin against others, but it's a sin against our nation. You know, it's been said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get on our knees. So number one, prayerlessness is a sin against God. What do we learn? Number two, prayerlessness is a slap in the master's face. The sin of prayerlessness is awful. It's awful because it exposes our our flesh. And it exposes our trust in the world in which we live. I mean, it reveals our dependence upon self and our independence of God. So prayerlessness shows us. See, when we fail to pray, we're not just neglecting our relationship with God, but we're stating that we don't really need Him. I mean, that's really what we're saying. I don't need you. If I needed you, I would ask. If I wanted your help, I would ask for it. How many times have you been, that someone told you that? You go to talk to them and they say, listen, if I want your help, I'll ask. And you're like, huh, all I'm trying to do is be a blessing to you. Yeah, well, I'll let you know when I want you to help me. Here's God in heaven begging us, let me help, let me help, let me help, let me help, let me help. And we go, I'll let you know. When I need you. And our prayerlessness says that. True disciples of Christ pray. We already noted that. It's not if, but when. See, they take God's word seriously. And when I'm talking about a disciple, I'm not just talking about someone that's saved, by the way. You can be saved and prayerless. Because you can be saved in sin. Not saved in sin. Sin's been forgiven. Don't misunderstand what I just said there. But you can be saved and still sin. So you can be saved and still be prayerless. However, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of the Lord Jesus, then you have to be a prayer man, a prayer woman. 
See, a disciple of Christ recognizes that they're helpless without him. Helpless. And he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, ye can do nothing. And boy, I'll tell you what the disciple says. You're right, Lord. i got to have you. Not just as Savior, but I want you as Lord of my life. I want you elevated and magnified. I want you to have all of me. Because I can be nothing and do nothing without you. So we cry out to God. So we know, one, what do we learn? Prayerlessness is a sin against God. Number two, prayerlessness is a slap in the master's face. And three, prayerlessness is serious business. It's very serious business. See, it's demonic in nature. Did you know prayerlessness is demonic in nature? See, our prayerlessness is demonic in nature because it takes our focus off of Jesus Christ. It takes it off of His glory. And it places, this, places our attention. It places our focus on the works of men and the works of women. That's demonic. It places our focus and the confidence, or should I say, in, in worldly wisdom. It places our focus on reliance on others. Man, I don't need God. I've got... Mom and dad. I don't need others. I've got a brother or sister. I don't need other, I don't need God. I've got someone else to turn to. That's demonic. That's Satan trying to get you distracted with the things of this life. That's Satan trying to help you somehow come to the conclusion that your needs are met without Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, I don't care if mom and dad meet the need. You ought to still have gone to God first. Mary, Queen of Scots, is reported to have said this, these words. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. She, what? All the armies of Europe? Are you kidding me? What are you talking about, Mary? What's your problem? you got a whole war machine here and you're worried about some guy? No, it's not the guy I'm worried about. It's the fact he's praying and who he's praying to. And I know that that guy gets his prayers answered. Prayerlessness is demonic in nature. Prayerlessness will hinder and hamper the work of God. Ian e. Bounds made this statement. He said, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. That's pretty good. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, Work, work, from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the, free, the first three hours in prayer. Now, we understand that Martin Luther wasn't really a friend of the Baptist, by the way. He did kill one. But he was a reformer. There are people probably that are saved today because of the work that Martin Luther did that would not have been saved otherwise. But he was not a friend to the Anabaptists or to those that were already out of the Catholic Church. But nonetheless, moving on, Edwin Orr made his profound statement. He said, history is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. What a great statement. History is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. 
A.W. Tozer, he made this statement. He said, to desire revival and at the same time to neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. Isn't that good? Oswald Chambers wraps it up like this. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Samuel, back there in chapter 12, he steps up to the plate and he says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. I mean, so many times I have considered prayer and I've looked at it and thought to myself, man, I'm neglecting prayer. Man, I'm not doing everything I should in prayer. And man, I'll tell you what, I'm being remiss and I'm, I'm not being very diligent and I'm not being very faithful. But no, what I didn't want to admit was I'm just downright being sinful. Samuel's helps us to understand the reality. When we fail to pray for others like we ought to pray for them, then it's really sinful. It's not just an oversight. It's not just a lack of discipline. It's a spiritual problem in our life that has to be addressed. When prayer is not important to us, to the point where we allow it to upset our schedules to some degree or another, then maybe we're not nearly as spiritual as we consider ourselves. Alfred Lord Tennyson He wrote this poem. It says, There is a place where thou canst touch the eye of blinded men to instant perfect sight. There is a place where thou canst say, Arise to dying captives bound in chains of night. There is a place where thou canst reach the store of hoarded gold and free it for the Lord. There is a place upon some distant shore where thou canst send the worker and the word. Where is that secret place? Dost thou ask, Where? O soul, it is the secret place of prayer. This week we're asking every member of Community Baptist Temple, every person that attends Community Baptist Temple to begin praying now. We've already been reading Psalm 24, but we're asking now, will we pray just five minutes a day in prayer for revival? Just five. And we're saying, will you pray for God's presence in the meeting? Will you pray for power for the speaker? Will you pray for openness of the congregation? And so that leads to a couple questions then. If one says, yes, I will pray. Then let's get real practical. First of all, where will you pray? Before you even walk out the door of this room, before you even, you've just said, I will pray. Okay, before you even leave this place, before you talk to anyone else, where will you pray? Decide right now what specific place each day you will pray. Number two, when will you pray? A specific time each day. And may I encourage you right now, I know most of you have phones. If I were you, I'd pull my phone out right now. And if I knew exactly when I was going to pray, I would literally put my alarm on right now for that time. Don't act like you don't have them. How many of you are going to pray? How many of you are going to pray right now? How many of you are going to pray five minutes a day? A lot of you. Not all of you, but a lot of you. You ought to take that phone out right now. When are you going to do it? You're going to do it at 6 in the morning? You're going to do it at 4 in the morning? You're going to do it at 8 in the morning? You're going to, when are you going to do it? On Monday, Wednesday, Thursdays, I'm going to do it at 6. On Thursday, Fridays, I'm going to do it this time. On Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to do it this time. You better have it down exactly. And listen, you start to deviate, you will not pray every day. 
And someone says, it's just five minutes. It's no big deal. Really? I bet you right now in this room, if we really could pull everybody, if you would add up all the prayer that people have made throughout the week, and you said five times seven is 35 minutes, I wonder how many really prayed even 35 minutes this week. Because we are a a, a people today in the church that is about comfort and ease. It's about convenience more than anything else in our lives right now. Why is it that we're saying, let's go, 24, Psalm chapter 24 for two weeks, five minutes for two weeks. The third week we're going to, fat, is it thankfulness. We're going to write down something every day for 14 straight days that we're thankful for. And then finally, the last two weeks before our revival, we're going to fast all our media, our social media, our televisions. And some of you won't do that. I get it. And I told you, still come to the meetings. Don't act, oh, they didn't want me there because I wouldn't do that. We didn't say that, all right? We didn't say that. Hey, I'm Pastor Mark O'Donnell, Community Baptist Temple. I'm the preacher here. It's my job to try to help you get to a place you haven't been. And so I'm going to try to push you a little bit. I'm going to try to prod you a little bit. I'm going to try to stretch you a little bit. Because I want you to be better than you were just two weeks earlier. And if that means that you go off of that stuff for a couple weeks so that you get an opportunity to maybe read a little bit more, study a little bit more, pray a little bit more, and prepare a little bit more, and to take the time to clear your mind from all the chaos and confusion in the world so that you can be open to the preaching of the Word of God, then that's my job. You choose not to do that. I'm not going to be mad at you. But don't be mad at me for suggesting it or saying it. I just want to do what I can to help. And I believe this is a good plan that has been put And I think it's important that we work on it. Because we want God to be real. We want God to do something unique in our lives. Prayer. I wonder today, to pray without Jesus Christ in your life as Savior is very futile. See, when you come to Jesus Christ and you recognize your sin and you cry out to the Lord to save you and forgive you, He washes your sin away, yes, but He places you into the family of God. Now you are His And may I say that God hears his own. Maybe you've never invited Christ into your life. Maybe you've never settled your soul's salvation. Possibly you don't even know where you're going to spend an eternity. I want you to know there's only two places, heaven and hell. And you today can know heaven's your home. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. There are precious promises in this book that the Lord Jesus made. And he says, listen... If you'll confess your sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you. Yes. But he also says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he'll save you. He'll forgive you. He'll place you in his family. He'll give you a reservation in heaven. And he'll give you the privilege of having him living in you to fellowship with and commune with the rest of your life. You'll never be alone again. Because he'll be with you and in you. You never trust, if you've never trusted Christ today, you need to do that. Do not leave here without knowing Him. That's the worst mistake you'll ever make in your life. But if you do know the Lord as your Savior, then let me tell you, let's make a decision to get back to praying. Maybe you've slipped in, your, in prayer. Maybe you've not prayed like you have always, that you've set goals for, you discern, that you wanted to pray. Maybe you say, I'm just not the prayer man of God that I want to be. Then let's get it settled. Let's do something about it. But put it on a schedule. Like I say, start with this five minutes a day, extra, on top of your personal time. And put it in your calendar. 
put an alarm on it, and every time it rings, you stop what you're doing and you get on your knees and you pray, or you sit in that chair and you pray. And I think you need to decide how you're going to do that too. Am I going to kneel? Am I going to sit? Am I going to stand? What am I going to do? I think you need to have it all figured out so that the only thing you have to do is do it whenever the time comes. Moreover, as for me, Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. May God help us to pray for one another. Pray for the lost. Pray for his soon coming. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love for us and your grace in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful to you. We desperately need you, Lord. Father, for the believer today, Lord, may we not take for granted uh, the privilege of prayer. And then, Lord, may we not dismiss the severity of the need for it. Lord, it's not just that we're slipping No, we're sinning. May we recognize our prayerlessness for what it really is. Help us, Lord, to take the time to pray. Lord, prayer is so valuable to us. And yet, Lord, so many times the devil deceives us into neglecting it. May we make decision today. And Lord, may many say, I'm going to pray about the revival coming up, the meetings that we're going to have at the end of March, and I'm going to put that five minutes a day in. And here's when I'm going to do it, and here's where I'm going to do it, and here's how I'm going to do it. Lord, may we be faithful and consistent at it. Lord, we need you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head